I am Thomas Solomon, and you are listening to the VO2 Podcast. We are certainly mammals with an impressive capacity for exercising in extreme heat. But that doesn't mean we can't improve our savvy ways. In part one, you learned all about what heat does to your physiology and performance, and why it is important to keep your cool. But if you don't care about that, here in part two, you will learn how to keep your cool during your sessions and races, so you can keep on rocking. It's getting hot in here, so take off all your clothes. Well, this is the strategy Nelly used amidst his prolific running career. But he also sported big puffy jackets in the heat of summer. So you might like to consider some other ways to combat the heat when you're deep into a race. During exercise, the quicker you burn fuel, the faster your core temperature will rise. Likewise, The longer you burn fuel, the hotter the furnace will become. Since the last decade was the warmest on record among a persistent long-term trend of rising global temperatures, climate change means that training and racing in the heat will become increasingly common. This is not a dream come true. Training and racing in hot and humid conditions can suck. As you learned in part one, Getting hot during exercise leads to increased cardiovascular strain, heart rate and breathing rate, increased perception of effort, RPE, increased glycogen breakdown, and so on. All these hot things cause fatigue. But heat and humidity also make strenuous exercise a little riskier and can increase your risk of an exertional heat illness. Therefore, the aim is to be cool as John Travolta once said. And smart athletes do just that by using strategies to mitigate the effects of heat. So, what do you need to consider to be cool in the heat? Hydration in the heat. First off, you cannot adapt to dehydration. Deliberately training in a dehydrated state will simply bury you in a hole. You are much better off learning to stay adequately hydrated day to day, drink to thirst, and, if necessary, to learn to use a strategy that helps you stay hydrated during your sessions and races, especially if they are long and absolutely if you are training in a hot environment. Combined drink to thirst and planned drink to a schedule depending on the logistics of the event. See part 4 of my series on hydration for practical strategies. As I described in part 1, for every litre of water that evaporates from your skin, about 580 kilocalories of heat is removed from your body. Sweating is awesome, because similar to pain, sweat is like a weakness leaving the body. Sweat puts water on your skin to remove excess heat to keep you cool and to keep you producing high power output for longer. Therefore, sweat is your friend, and being sweaty during exercise is helping you. But every yin has a yang. 
Sweat also removes water from your total body water tank, aka dehydration. Also, because higher sweat rates are correlated with higher sweat sodium concentrations, sweating at a high rate or sweating for a long time can also remove sodium from your tank. Your cooling response to exercise in the heat is simply to sweat more. More water leaves the tank. If dehydration persists, plasma volume will drop, making it harder for your blood to perfuse the skin to allow cooling. Therefore, you can probably surmise why starting exercise in the heat in a hypohydrated or dehydrated state and or not adequately maintaining hydration status during exercise in the heat make it more difficult to cool down. See my series on hydration for more info. Furthermore, if dehydration persists during exercise in the heat, you will likely lose more sodium, which will lower plasma osmolality, causing fatigue and or hyponatremia, double trouble. Systematic reviews teach us that dehydration during exercise does not impair performance under temperate conditions if you start exercise euhydrated, but that when air temperature is greater than about 25 Celsius, dehydration during exercise increases cardiovascular strain, increased heart rate, and impairs endurance performance. Therefore, during a long session or race on a hot day, you might be at a higher risk of a dehydration-related performance impairment. So, when training or racing in the heat, it is essential that you start exercise euhydrated and aim to maintain hydration status during exercise. Drinking to thirst day-to-day will maintain your daily hydration status. And you can use Robert Kenefick and Sam Chouvrant's simple daily hydration tool to help. Drinking to thirst can also help maintain adequate hydration status during exercise, even during ultra-distance races and even during hot conditions. Some evidence supports the use of pre-exercise hyperhydration or sodium supplementation in the heat. For example, plasma sodium maintenance with during-race sodium supplementation might support hydration and performance in hot conditions, but probably only during long-duration exercise and if you have a high sweat rate and or high sweat sodium concentration. Additionally, plasma volume expansion with pre-exercise sodium loading might also reduce heat stress. Studies that examined preloading had subjects drink a 10 milliliter per kilogram body weight solution containing 164 millimoles per liter of sodium, which is about 3.8 grams per liter, during the two hours before exercise. I.e., if you weigh 65 kilograms, mix 2.5 grams of sodium, or about 6 grams of sodium chloride table salt, in 650 millilitres of water. But this can taste horrible and may feel unpleasant in your stomach. Glycerol can also expand plasma volume and help support endurance performance. For example, about two hours before exercise, drink about one gram of glycerol per kilogram body weight. 
However, glycerol has moved on and off of WADA's prohibited list over the years. It is your responsibility to know the current rules of your sport. Whatever hydration strategy you use, always practice it in training to ensure it is palatable, safe, practical and works for you. Know what it does to your GI system, whether you can handle it and whether you can feel full or unable to eat. This brings me to the second important consideration. Nutrition in the heat. When your hypothalamus deals with signals from central and peripheral thermoreceptors which have detected increases in your core temperature and the air temperature, one of the reflexes is to send a signal to the adrenal medulla to secrete epinephrine, aka adrenaline, to increase heart rate and cardiac output. One of the annoying side effects of epinephrine or adrenaline is that it stimulates glycogen breakdown glycogenolysis, and increases carbohydrate oxidation. Therefore, your muscles munch through your stored fuel more quickly when exercising in the heat. So, in the heat, appropriately fueling for the work required might necessitate a higher rate of carbohydrate intake during long-duration sessions and races. But there are caveats. When it is very hot, you will be moving slower than on a cooler day, so your energy expenditure, your rate of burning stored fuel, will be slightly lower. Also, when it is super hot and humid, it is not uncommon to lose your appetite and find that your food, real food and fake food like gels, blocks and potions, can taste like it has lost a Michelin star, while any fluid you are carrying will get pretty warm and less palatable. Plus, if you use sports supplements, a 2021 meta-analysis found that the ergogenic performance benefit is dampened in the heat for most supplements, including caffeine and nitrate and beetroot. All that said, there is another more serious consequence of training and racing in the heat. The potential loss of gastrointestinal integrity which can lead to GI problems like bloating, sickness and food aversion. Consequently, if you become a veritable fountain of puke, sticking to a well-planned and practiced fuel intake strategy can be tough. If you want to go deep on hot nutrition, Sports Dietitians Australia published a 2020 position statement on nutrition for exercise in hot environments within which they tabulated practical inflammation tips for training in the heat. But the most important thing to heed from all evidence, experimental or empirical, is that when training in the heat, experiment with foods and drinks to find items that remain palatable when they are warm, when your mouth is dry and when your appetite is low. Then, on a hot race day, you will have found what works for you and you will be ready. Now you know to experiment with your hydration and nutrition strategies in training to perfect them in time for a hot race day. You also know that your natural cooling mechanism, sweat, is awesome. See part one. 
but in hot and humid conditions, you will notice that more sweat accumulates and drips off your skin. And this is where the problem begins. Because if sweat is dripping off, it is still liquid and is not evaporating as a gas carrying your body heat into the air. Consequently, when it is hot and humid, and or when you notice more sweat dripping off you than usual, you need other cooling strategies because your sweat is not cooling you. So, how to stay cool before and during a session or race. Just watch what athletes do during ultra races in the heat for some clues about how best to mitigate the rise in your core temperature during a race. Ice vests, ice caps, ice arm sleeves. At the 2004 Athens Olympics, I also recall athletes with their hands and faces in cooling basins. And I remember the Australian athletes at the 2008 Beijing Olympics drinking from their ice slushy machine before events. All athletes in all sports could learn a lot from simply opening their eyes and being open-minded to other athletes' habits. During sessions and races, your goal is to maintain your thermal comfort for as long as possible. Of course, on a hot day, you can simply choose to train in the cooler and more shaded times of the day. But on race day, you cannot choose the start time. So, to be like Tron Travolta, I suggest the following tried and tested strategies. Number one. Wind is the perfect cooling device. A headwind during a race is not great for performance, but you can exploit the powers of wind before a race using a fan to keep you cool. Convective heat loss due to the wind is a free tool and is the reason you sweat more training indoors than outside. Plus, the airflow against your skin will lessen your sweat rate, thus minimising dehydration before you unleash your war face during the race. Number two. Stay in the shade at rest and during the run. The sun's radiation can be very intense in direct sunlight or from reflective radiation coming from any surfaces, roads, walls and other things thus contributing to your heat gain. So, stay in the shade before your race. Find shade at aid stations and rest stops. And do your best to navigate via the shady side of the trails and the roads you're racing on. Number three. Wear sunglasses with a polarising filter. Wear a sun hat or trucker cap. And use sunblock back to 30 or higher. These might not keep you cool, but they will protect you from the sun's radiation. But some sunglasses become uncomfortable when worn for long periods, or they jump around on your face while running. Some hats are like tea cosies and heat your head, the total opposite of your goal. And some sunblocks can be exceptionally greasy, making it impossible to open wrappers and bottles when you're mid-race. Furthermore, some sunblocks can reduce your sweat rate during exercise, potentially blunting your ability to cool down. That said, the evidence on the effects of sunblocks on sweat rates is sparse and equivocal. 
Some work has found that inorganic sunscreens blunted sweat rates during exercise, whereas organic chemical sunscreens did not. But other research has shown that sweat-resistant sunscreens do not blunt skin cooling during exercise. So, as always, play around with what works for you. Number four. Throw cold water on your head, neck and shoulders. Remember, about 580 kilocalories of heat is removed from your body per one litre of water that evaporates from your skin. So, throwing water onto your skin is a great way to remove heat from your body. But remember that to remove heat from your body, water must evaporate, not drip off. So, if it is hot and the relative humidity isn't super high, you'll be able to cool down if you have the opportunity to pour water all over your body. Also note that throwing water over your head can also move sweat into your eyes and soak everything you are wearing, which can increase the risk of abrasion from clothing. The very reason I put plasters or band-aids on my nips and lube around my bits when it's a day for sweatiness and or water throwing. During exercise, as brain temperature approaches about 40 Celsius, cerebral blood flow decreases and brainwave activity is impaired with a concurrent increase in RPE and reduction in maximal voluntary muscular force output. Therefore, a cool brain might help prevent fatigue. And there is certainly some evidence that supports the use of head cooling both before and during exercise. So, if humidity is too high to allow for evaporation, throwing cold water on your head may still help reduce brain temperature. My first memory of the immediate pick-me-up, lowering of RPE, and a Mario Kart-like power-up of speed I received as a consequence of cold water on my head cooling was during the 2004 World Duathlon Championships in Belgium. On a hot and humid day, the local fire service had installed a bunch of fire hose showers throughout the racecourse. It was magical running through them. There are freshwater brunens, springs, all around the mountains where I live. When it is hot, I always dunk my head and shoulders and cool my arms and legs in them, and top up whatever drinking vessel I have with me. In other parts of the world, when it is hot, I always plan runs where I know there will be access to water, a grocery store, a lake, a river, or even the occasional cliff jump. Most races provide water for drinking, but you can also douse yourself in it. Most trail and mountain races also pass through streams, rivers and natural springs, providing many opportunities for cooling on a hot day. Number 5. Drink a pre-race slushy or ice-cold beverage and drink cold fluid during exercise. Ice slushies, crushed ice in water, give you the sensation of cold and can be ingested during the hour before exercise. For example, two servings of 14 millilitres of slushy per kilogram body weight consume 30 to 60 minutes pre-exercise. Now, since you know that water evaporating from your skin cools you down because evaporation requires heat energy from your body, 
The same principle occurs when you drink ice slush and ice cold fluid. Your body heat warms them up, thus removing heat from the body via conduction. Since we know the specific heat capacity of water, 4.184 kilojoules per kilogram per Celsius, we can even get really nerdy and calculate water's heat storage capacity. For example, if you drink 500 millilitres of cold 10 degree water, you will remove about 56 kilojoules or 14 kilocalories of heat from your body. But as you will notice, 14 kilocalories is a far smaller heat loss potential than for water to evaporate off your skin, 580 kilocalories per litre. So, besides feeling cooler, drinking slushies or cold fluids also has the potential to lower your core temperature and perhaps aid performance. Interestingly, ice slurry ingestion has been shown to attenuate heat-induced heart rate drift more than fluid ingestion. But systematic reviews of the evidence find that ice slushy ingestion does not improve time trial performance or time to exhaustion in the heat. But the evidence is from laboratory studies, not real-world outdoor races. A 2012 systematic review by Burden et al., also showed that athletes find cold, 0 to 10 degrees Celsius, or cool, less than 22 degrees Celsius, drinks more palatable than warmer ones, and that drinking cold or cool beverages increases ad libitum fluid consumption, and better maintains hydration status during exercise. And some experimental evidence has shown cold fluid intake before and during exercise to improve endurance performance in the heat over warmer drinks. But remember, during exercise, you can frequently pour far more water over your head, shoulders and body than you can fit cold water or ice slush in your body. Plus, some folks find that drinking ice-cold fluid or slushies during running triggers gut problems and nausea. So, discover whether your stomach can tolerate ice slush or ice cold fluid during training before trying it on race day. And if there's water to pour on your skin and you're training and racing in the heat, always use it. Number six, use ice vests, hats, neckerchiefs and arm sleeves. It is very common to see folks during long ultras put ice in their caps, neckerchiefs and arm sleeves at aid stations. And a pre-race ice vest was the most common cooling method used by athletes at the 2019 World Athletics Championships in Doha. In the summer, some ice in a hat is my go-to pre and during session cool tool. And I religiously keep soft flasks in the freezer so I can carry them in hand or in my pack on longer runs. I learned this trick on a Coca-Cola soccer skills course many moons ago in a hot London summer of 1987. Ice gives you the sensation of cold and it conducts heat from your body. Double win. But you don't have to freeze yourself. 
Even subtle pre-exercise cooling to slightly lower your core temperature can prolong your time to exhaustion by delaying the rise in your core temperature. Ice vests have also been shown to lower cardiovascular strain, lower heart rate, and RPE during exercise in the heat, while other studies have found success combining methods. For example, pre-exercise cold water immersion followed by ice jacket or pre-exercise ice slushy with during exercise ice towels. So, consider using iced clothing before gun time, during breaks during your sessions, and even at aid stations during long ultras. But whatever you choose, don't freeze yourself. The aim is to be cool, not cold. And number seven. Wear clothing that allows your sweat to evaporate and keeps you cool. In the early 80s, my primary school teacher taught me that white clothing reflects the sun and black clothing absorbs it. We now know that the reflective potential of clothing is determined by a complex interaction of colour, dye and material. We also know that white clothing allows greater UV light transmission to reach the skin, similar to white versus dark fur and plumage in mammals. But in 2013, I was camping in Jordan and noticed that the desert-dwelling Bedouin folks wore black robes. It turns out that their black robes do gain more heat than white robes, but that the heat is lost before it reaches the skin, due to convection in the airspace between the skin and the robe. This highlights the ability of loose-fitting clothes to allow ventilation in hot environments. So, when training in the heat, be more Bedouin. Go loose, but leave your robe at home. Moisture transport and water absorption properties of clothing is another important consideration. Some clothing, like rain jackets and backpacks, can be a barrier to evaporative and convective cooling. Running on a warm day when it is raining is a pain. If you go short, you don't really need a jacket. But if you go long, there is always the toss-up between maintaining warmth and staying cool. On such a hot, wet, long day, I usually opt for a light rain jacket from the house, and then take it off when I feel warm and or alter my plans to loop past home mid-run just in case. But no matter the temperature, following much trial and error, in the rain I will always opt for a waterproof, windproof and breathable layer of Gore-Tex. Running clothing comes in a smorgasbord of choices. Some are designed to be windproof and or waterproof. Others are designed to be wicking. It's a matter of utility and comfort. Sticky or moist clothing, or clothing that absorbs water and becomes heavy, is just annoying, and an unnecessary distraction to your focus on forward progress. Choose clothing that works for you and feels good. But avoid cotton. It's rubbish. It absorbs water, gets heavy, prevents sweat evaporation, and chaffs thy nips. So, which is the best cooling strategy? 
Well, let's turn to systematic reviews and meta-analyses of all known experimental evidence to examine the effect sizes. For pre-exercise cooling, of the existing systematic reviews, the most well-conducted find that using any method of cooling has a small beneficial effect. But combining multiple methods, ice packs and ice vests and cold water immersion and ice slushy ingestion, is the most effective with a large effect size. These findings also apply to highly trained athletes, but the effects are specific to intermittent exercise and endurance performance, since pre-cooling seems to impair sprint performance. Systematic reviews of during exercise cooling find similar effects. Using a face spray, a fan or an ice vest has a moderate beneficial effect on endurance performance. While using ice packs, ice vests or cold water and slushy ingestion has a small beneficial effect on endurance performance, as does using neck cooling, cold fluid ingestion or ice slurry ingestion or mouth rinsing. Once again, these effects are unique to endurance exercise as the effect on anaerobic exercise, exercise lasting less than 75 seconds, is negligible. To put these effect sizes into perspective, the men's marathon at Tokyo 2020 had 76 finishes ranging from 208.38 Eliot Kipchoge to 244.36, meaning that the standard deviation of the men's finish times was 366 seconds. 6 minutes and 6 seconds. By the end of that race, it was disgustingly hot. 28 degrees Celsius with 72% relative humidity. Based on the most recent meta-analysis, the effect size for pre-exercise cooling is 0.72 standard deviations, which in the men's race in Tokyo is equivalent to an endurance performance improvement of 263 seconds, about 4 minutes and 23 seconds. Therefore, any of the runners behind Kipchoge who finished in 2 hours 13 minutes and 1 second or faster, which includes the 2nd to 12th placed finishers, might have won gold if they used a pre-cooling strategy. Similarly, the most recent meta-analysis of during exercise cooling found an effect size of 0.6 standard deviations, equivalent to an improvement of 3 minutes and 40 seconds, meaning that anyone finishing behind Kipchoge, who was faster than 2 hours 12 and 18 seconds, might have won if they used a during exercise cooling strategy. Of course, my inferences are mites, and I make the very false assumption that all athletes did not use cooling strategies. But they give you an idea of the potential impact of something so simple. Most of the systematic reviews commented on the large range of cooling protocols used, the poor study quality, and the near-complete lack of ecologically valid outdoor race-like studies, and publication bias in favour of only positive findings being published. Therefore, the experimental evidence should only be used as a guide. Consequently, 
the best cooling strategy is the one that keeps you cool and is practical to use while not freezing you, annoying you or making you uncomfortable or nauseous. Before wrapping up my rant on how you stay cool in the heat, there was one very important and quite topical question to consider. Should you trick your brain into thinking you are cool? When cool things are in your mouth, your brain senses the cool and goes, ah. This reduces thermal sensation and discomfort, but does not lessen your body's heat load. Ice slushies in the mouth trick your brain into thinking you are cool. But the good thing with ice is that heat energy is in fact lost from your body to melt the ice, contributing to cooling. Ice is good. Over the last 20 years, there has been intermittent interest in menthol as a means to make you think you are cool and to improve performance. We all know what menthol feels like. If I am honest, I bloody love the mintiness and feel of menthol. Menthol in the mouth provides a feeling of cool. But menthol does not remove heat from your body. And when applied, mouthwashed or ingested at a high concentration and volume, menthol can be toxic. A 2018 meta-analysis of randomised controlled trials by Jeffries and Waldron found that both internal, in the mouth, and external, on the skin, application of menthol lowers thermal sensations during exercise in the heat. But only oral menthol mouse rinses, repeated 25ml of 0.1% menthol solution, improves exercise performance. A 2020 meta-analysis from Karenga et al. confirmed those findings while showing that menthol does not affect sweat rate, heart rate or core temperature during exercise. These findings were echoed by an expert-led consensus statement ahead of the Tokyo Olympics, concluding that menthol can be used but much more research is needed. Tricking yourself to be like John Travolta is dangerous because when your brain is telling you to stop, it is doing so because its data analysis indicates that the rate of increase in your body temperature is too rapid or that your body temperature has reached a critical threshold. In other words, you are not cool and your brain is protecting you from exertional heat illness. For this reason, anything that makes your brain think you are cool while not actually removing heat from your body may increase your risk of an exertional heat illness. So, in my opinion, stick to the safe ways to be cool. Hydrate, stay in the shade, and use cold water, ice or vests immediately before and during exercise. What can you add to your training cool box? You will reach fatigue during exercise in the heat at an elevated core temperature that is unique to you. Starting exercise with an elevated core temperature or having a high rate of increase of your core temperature during exercise simply means you reach your thermal threshold quicker. Therefore, aim to start cool and once the gun has fired, aim to be cool. During very short duration sessions and races, for example up to 5 to 10 minutes, 
you simply do not have enough time to raise your core temperature, unless it is already elevated to begin. During longer duration sessions and races, i.e. longer than 5 to 10 minutes, the quicker you burn, the faster your core temperature will rise, and the longer you burn, the hotter the furnace will become. These scenarios elevate your risk of overheating, causing fatigue sooner than you want while increasing your risk of developing an exertional heat illness. To stay safe when training or racing in the heat, always stay aware of your thirst and your need to drink fluid to quench it. Always stay aware of the signs of heat stress and exertional heat illness. And always stop and seek help if you are developing an exertional heat illness. On a hot and humid day, use the following free or very cheap and highly effective heat mitigation strategies to minimise the risk of an exertional heat illness and to resist fatigue and keep on rocking for as long as possible. Number one, train at cooler times of the day. Number two, take extra breaks and or long rest intervals during your sessions. Number three, when you see shade, go in it. Number four, when you see water, cover your skin in it. Number five, drink cold fluid and try ice slush. And number six, wear ice packs, vests, hats, neckerchiefs and or arm sleeves. But always remember, be sensible. The goal is to be cool, not cold. Thanks for keeping cool during today's session. Until next time, be cool like John Travolta. As with all my audiobook podcasts, you can visit the written version at vo2.com forward slash articles for fully clickable links to all of the evidence. I occasionally mention brands and products, but it is important to know that I am not sponsored by or receiving advertisement royalties from anyone. I have conducted biomedical research for which I have received research money from publicly funded national research councils and medical charities, and also from private companies including Novo Nordisk Foundation, AstraZeneca, Amelin, the AP Muller Foundation and the Augustinus Foundation. These companies had no control over the research design, data analysis or publication outcomes of my work. Any recommendations I make are, and always will be, based on my own views and opinions shaped by the evidence available. The information I provide is not medical advice. Before making any changes to your habits of daily living based on any information I provide, always ensure it is safe for you to do so and consult your doctor if you are ever unsure.